We're just thankful that Jesus is here. How about you guys? I'm thankful for that. That our guest of honor, Jesus, is resurrected and present. And it's always a good day in church when you make yourself aware that you're sharing a pew with Jesus Christ himself personally. So God is here. You're here. Uh, Wednesday, we started our leadership school. And uh, man, honestly, guys, in 2018, we began to pray and ask God if we could train up 100 power-packed, spirit-empowered disciples. And uh, 135 of you signed up for leadership school. 135, come on. We had like 120 there for our first Wednesday of leadership school. And so we know that different people have to miss different weeks. But uh, if you didn't sign up, there's always next year. I promise it's gonna be awesome. It's already been amazing. And so we're spending the entire summer this summer talking about leadership. Uh, We're gonna start a new sermon series today called The Summer of Leadership. And uh, I'm really excited for it because we're gonna look at some biblical leaders. How many of you know that every single person who wrote the Bible, inspired by the Spirit of God, was in one way or the other a leader? They were leaders. And uh, so we're gonna look at some different biblical figures and how they led. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. But before we read scripture, Exodus 3 is where I'm gonna go today. If you wanna open up your Bible, you can do that. But before we read our scripture, Uh, there's something that I want to speak out over you emphatically. And that is this. You are a leader. Everybody say, I I am am a leader. leader. The the context may vary. It, It may be family. It may be the home. It may be at work. It may be at university. It may be in your school. It may be in your business. It may be in your ministry. It may be in your church. It may be all of those things because I think each of us are gifted uniquely to lead in a specific way. But whatever it looks like for you, here's what I can guarantee. You are called to lead. Everybody say, I I am called called to lead. lead. I want you to get this as we're kicking it off today, guys. Each and every one of us are called to lead. Now, when we say, uh, I'm gonna be a leader, or I am a leader, or I'm called to leadership, what pops into your head? A lot of times it uh, is definitions, to, to be quite honest, that are not really kingdom. And uh, if you Google this, what does it mean to be a leader? You'll get Google's definition, and I shared that in leadership school this week. But most of the definitions that come up imply position, imply rank, or they imply competition. But none of these three designations link to the kingdom definition of what it truly means to be a leader. So what does it mean to be a kingdom leader? Well, I can tell you this, leadership in the kingdom is not simply about rank. Leadership in the kingdom is about action. It's about action, all right? Leadership is not a noun, but a verb, all right? It's not a seat that you sit in with a shiny placard on your desk, okay? That can be a manifestation of leadership, but leadership in the kingdom is an action, primarily the action of, everybody say, serving, Serving. If you want to know what it means to lead in the kingdom of God, it is simply this, serving. 
How many, of you, how many of you remember when the disciples were arguing who would have the, the seat at Jesus's right hand, at Jesus's left hand? Who was going to be the leader? Who was going to be the lieutenant of all of the disciples? Who was going to be the first pope? I don't know. You know, they're arguing, right? And Jesus said, if you want to be great, what do you got to do? You got to serve, right? If you want to be in the lead, you got to become the slave, Jesus actually said, you got you to gotta be willing to accept the privilege of the place of humility and serving other people. And honestly, even, even in a world context, I truly believe that ultimately the people who are remembered uh, best and most beautifully are those who sacrificially give their lives for other people. They are servants. They're the best, most amazing leaders. And so we've developed a, a definition of what a kingdom leader is. It's a workable definition. So, hey, if over the next two months I change it, sorry, not sorry, okay? We're going we're gonna to explore the scripture and, and lean into prayer and go after what it means to be a kingdom leader. But here's our definition right now. A kingdom leader is the person that loves others by actively serving them, sacrificially and joyfully, as an act of worship to Jesus. Do you guys like that definition? Let's read it again. A kingdom leader is the person that loves others. How many of you guys know that love looks like something? We're having Iris Global Night for the Nations here in a few weeks. This is something that Mama Heidi says all the time. If we say we love somebody, okay, then let it show up in your actions. Love looks like something, right? And so we love others by actively serving them sacrificially, sometimes it's going to hurt, but we do it joyfully. How many of you know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit? So we have the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, we always have access to eternal joy. Somebody just got free right there. You always have access to eternal joy. There's never a time when the joy of Jesus is unavailable to you. Because it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. And when is it that the Holy Spirit's not available to you? Come on, guys. It's always there. And joyfully, as an act of worship to Jesus, all that you do, do it all in the name of Jesus, Peter said. So leadership looks like serving. This is something that we want to establish right up front in the beginning. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to serve. Now, as, um, you know, I... I Taking the assignment of preaching every single week is always interesting. If you've been here, you go here, you're a member here, you know I am, I'm a joyful preacher. I'm an excited preacher. I was, uh, we were talking beforehand of, of me taking better care of my voice because I'm a passionate preacher. I mean, you guys may think you come to one service like, man, he was really turned up. He'll probably calm down the next message. Nope, I'm turning up the next message. We're just going in further. Uh, but as I was preparing to preach today, I don't know if I'm going to preach to you guys so much as tell you a story. Is that okay? Can I just take the role of a storyteller today and tell you the story of a leader who was called by God by the name of Moses? All right. So we're going to talk about Moses today. How many of you guys like the story of Moses? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about the calling of Moses, which comes to us from Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Uh, so if you have it and, and you want to read it from your Bible, you can. If not, it'll be on the screen here. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Remember that. 
He's keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Okay, so everybody say, he's serving. serving. Notice that? So he's keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. His his father-in-law whom he was serving was a pastor. We're just going to leave that there for now. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. God called to him. Now, when God calls you, because every single one of us are called to leadership, we've already established that. Moses gives us a good depiction of what it looks like to surrender to the calling of God. I'm available. I'm available. I think, I think being available is the best thing you can be in the kingdom of God. If you don't have talent, if you don't have pedigree, if you don't have education, availability trumps it. Here I am, God. Use me as you wish. Then he said, do not come near, but take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Notice he didn't say the place that you think you ought to be standing. So oftentimes we think about leadership and you're like, man, I would lead. But first, I'm going to have to get to this point. I'm going to have to get to this place. I'm going to have to receive that impartation. This person's going to have to believe in me. That leader's going to have to be impressed by my confidence. God didn't say the, think, the, the place that you think you should be is holy ground. He said the place that you are is holy ground. Right where you are right now, this Sunday morning, not where you think you should be, right where you are, God is calling you. Right in the midst of your ill-equipped, uneducated, whatever you're believing about yourself. I done messed up. I've sinned too much. I've ruined my life. I wrecked it all a few years ago. God says, no, where you're standing today is holy ground. It's holy ground right now. He says, take your sandals off your feet. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now that's also a pretty common, appropriate response when God shows up, huh? How many of you guys ever had an encounter just scared you a little bit? That's what happens when God steps in the room. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's a lot of tribes sounded very similar. And now behold, the cry of the people Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you. Man, this is so interesting, isn't it? That whenever the cries of oppressed, abused, broken, neglected people come before the Lord, he hears them and he starts looking for a man. He starts looking for a woman. He said, I've received the cries. I've received the prayers. Now who will I send to take care of the assignment? That's what's happening here. 
I mean, can you imagine listening to this? Moses was aware of what was going on. He's thinking, yeah, God, that seems like a pretty good plan. That's great. I'm glad you want to do that. That's awesome. You want to free those people from 400 years of oppression uh, by an evil dictator named Pharaoh. I know him personally. He's a pretty bad dude. And I'm going to send you to do it. Whoa, hold on. Wait just a second, God. I know it's in your heart, but I'm not sure I'm the guy for the job, right? And Moses says to God, who am I? You ever said that before? But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So today I'm going to tell this story uh, from the subject of called but conflicted. Called but conflicted. How many? Wow, this is going over well. Okay, here we go. How many guys know you're called? Yeah, but from time to time, you're like, I'm conflicted, man. I don't really know if I'm able to do this. I have had these dreams in my heart since I was a kid, but I'm not sure I'm the guy for the job. I believe that God wants to end human trafficking in my lifetime, but I'm not sure I could be a part of something that big. I know that God wants to end, you know, poverty and hunger in Nashville. I know that God wants to uh, release revival and reformation in the cities of the earth, but I'm not sure I'm the person for the job. I know I've been told I receive prophetic words. I read the scripture. I'm filled with confidence from time to time, but in my heart, I remain conflicted. Well, you're no different than Moses who was well able to accomplish quite a, quite a, a few amazing things with the Holy Spirit. But when you are called in the way that Moses was, let's look at this call for a moment. When you're called in the way that Moses was or in the way that you're called, it's one of the most significant events in your entire life. A calling from God is an incredibly significant event in your life for a couple of reasons. One, you meet with God. Two, it helps you to get back on track when you get distracted. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's exempt from this, but as human beings, from time to time, we get tempted to take a time out on our purpose, don't we? Maybe it's for one reason or the other. Maybe it's uh, financials. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our friendships, but we take a time out on purpose, and we're like, you know, uh, meaning we take a time out on our purpose, right? We stop pursuing the thing that God has called us to pursue. And we say, you know, I'm just going to take some time off. But see, it's that calling. It's that encounter. It's that burning bush moment that each and every one of us need to be reminded of from time to time that help us re-engage in purpose and say, I'm not, I'm not holding back. I'm going to step back into why I'm alive, right? Purpose and calling and the burning bush moment and the encounter, it also helps us get through the tough times. You know, anytime I ordain anyone to the ministry, I always buy them uh, um, a, a precious jar of anointing oil. And I make sure it's very fragrant and I pour a lot on them. And it's not just because I want to pour a bunch of oil in their hair. It's because I want them to smell the fragrance of their ordination so that whenever they feel like quitting, they can open that jar and be reminded of what God called them to do. Because if you're going to serve, it's almost a guarantee, according to Jesus, you're going to have some moments of suffering. If you believe that, say amen. 
So Moses is called supernaturally, but one of the things I want to note is that people throughout the Bible were called differently by God. People throughout the Bible were called through prayer, through worship, through scripture, through dreams, through visions, through burdens, and angelic visitations. And so just because you weren't called like Moses was called does not mean that you weren't called. And just because somebody else wasn't called the same way that you were called doesn't mean that they're not called. Each of us receive unique gifts from God, gifts from God, and each of us have unique encounters and unique callings. God may speak to you through a burning bush. You know, maybe you have a dream. Maybe you have an angelic visitation the way that Moses did, but maybe you hear a word in a sermon. Maybe you feel something happening on the inside during your devotional over coffee. Maybe you're meeting with somebody and they say something. It's just like, man, that is God right there. I am called to do something great for God. So Moses, as we look at his story, we, one of the things about Moses was Moses was a mighty leader. Deuteronomy 34 and 10 said, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I mean, this guy was special, you guys. He was called, but he was conflicted by this great call. Now, when you think about this scripture that was written about Moses, you have to ask yourself, at least I do, how did Moses get here? It's a unique story when you look at the storyline of Moses because Moses was born a Hebrew. You probably remember this story, right? Moses is born a Hebrew, but he ends up being adopted and he grows up rich in the temple courts of Pharaoh living as part of the royal family. Acts chapter seven, verse 22, this was the sermon of Stephen said this about Moses. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty, Moses was mighty in his words and his deeds. And so the Bible teaches us that Moses has all of the wisdom of Egypt, which was at the time the greatest civilization on planet earth. I mean, you think about the wisdom, the education, the instruction that he received. The smartest people in the world would have considered it a privilege to tutor the royal family and to give education to those in the royal courts. Moses had the best teaching that anybody could get. He had all of this wisdom. And the historian Josephus, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this guy. He's probably one of the greatest Bible historians. I remember watching my dad read Josephus as a kid. And I love to read uh, some of what Josephus records because he's an ancient historian and he records stories about people in the Bible that are not in the Bible. So it's extra biblical. So you kind of got to take it for what it's worth. You know, we don't know if it's true for sure. But there's a story that Josephus writes about Moses. And the story goes that Egypt was being attacked by Ethiopian armies at one point in history and they were going to be defeated. But then Moses Moses was assigned command of the armies of Egypt as a young man, and he not only turned back the Ethiopian armies, but he led Egypt to a monumental victory. So that would tell us that what was spoken about him in Acts 7 and 22, that he was mighty in his words and his deeds, was actually true, right? I mean, he, he had to be incredibly powerful, but as he grows up, you know, really feeling himself, because he's such a powerful dude. I mean, he's turning back armies. He's incredibly wise. He has this great education. He turns 40 and he has to make this decision in his life. And the decision comes as a result of him murdering 
um, and an Egyptian. Do you guys remember this story? I, I'm telling the story. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you guys have this knowledge and you know about this story, right? But this, this time came where he had to make this major decision to leave Egypt. And basically what he was choosing was between royalty and peasantry. He had to choose uh, between being an Israelite in bondage or between being an Egyptian in great power. And he chose to be an Israelite. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, I love that they call 40 years old grown up because that means I'm still a child. You know, I'm still a kid. I'm still a spring chicken, man, at 34. You know, still young. So he grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Notice this is the greatest, most rich, most wealthy, most empowered nation on planet earth, for he was looking to the reward. So it's in this time where, you know, he sees a fellow Israelite and the Israelites being beaten senselessly by an Egyptian. Moses defends the Israelite, but ends up murdering the Egyptian. And the following day, you know, he thinks to himself, he's like, oh, I've, I've done this great thing. I'm mighty in my words and my deeds. I'm taking up the burden for my fellow Israelites. After all, I've been adopted. I am a Hebrew and I am going to defend. I am going to protect and I'm going to set free the Israelites. Isn't this a wonderful foreshadowing of Moses's eternal destiny and purpose? I mean, think about it. When we try to accomplish the call of God in our own strength, it comes to naught. And that's essentially Moses had a burden for his people. It's evident. Moses wanted to protect his people. Moses wanted to set his, his people free as a young man. But he took matters into his own hands. And he murdered an Egyptian. He thought he was doing a good job by covering it up. And, you know, he tried to conceal the death. But the following day, Exodus chapter 2, verse 14, uh, there's a fellow Israelite that said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And so after this, Moses fled into the wilderness. So that's the first 40 years of Moses' life. It's a season of time. Now, for the next 40 years, which is another season of time, Moses spends time in the wilderness. You guys, you guys feel like we're throwing it back to Sunday school right now? You guys okay with it? Throwing it back. Now, for the next 40 years, Moses spends time in the wilderness. Can I say this? No matter how long you think you've spent in a wilderness season, you ain't spent as long as Moses. We have these seasons of time where we're like, man, I'm just going through transition. That's the thing about charismatic people. No matter what, when you meet with them, they're always going through transition. You know, it's crazy, man. Always in it. We're always in a wilderness season. It's always something, you know. But no matter how long you think you've spent in a wilderness season, you have not spent a wilderness so long as Moses. And nobody enjoys wilderness seasons. But note this. God uses wilderness seasons to prepare his leaders for their callings. If you find yourself today in a wilderness season, I want you to know it's just preparation for your eternal purpose. Because before you can accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish, he needs to strip you of your own strength first. Do you guys believe it? Imagine what it was like for Moses to go from the wealth of the temple courts to the backside of the desert. There's always a purpose in wilderness seasons 
If you find yourself in a wilderness season, there's always a purpose. Here's what the purpose is. Leadership development. There's always a purpose for wilderness seasons. It is leadership development. Moses had so much wisdom, education, power. He had all these tools. He was mighty. But God was not interested in using any of these tools uh, to overcome uh, Pharaoh and his magicians. These Egyptian methods could not be used to set the people free if God was going to get all the glory. And so God had to strip the man that he was going to be using greatly. And Moses literally spends 40 years tending somebody else's sheep. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible, I mean, that right there is an incredible illustration because I know people who are 20 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old thinking, when am I going to get the opportunity to preach? When am I going to get the opportunity to lead? I'm like, dude, just be patient. The best thing you can do right now is just serve a shepherd. I promise you, you're going to get messages today that you'll preach in 15 years. I mean, I remember when I was 23 and I was like, man, I got so much revelation. Somebody needs to give me a microphone. And people are like, you need to calm down. And of course, it was a lot of revelation for me because I'd only been living for the Lord for three years. So everything was big to me. And you know what? Can I tell you guys now, you know, at 34, I'm preaching some of the message I received revelation on at 21. It just, you know, it just needs to marinate, man. And that's the way God, that's the way God does it. He uses wilderness seasons to strip us of our pride and our personal confidence. Uh, Moses had to, Moses came out of Egypt, but here's the thing all of Egypt needed to come out of him. Egypt had to be stripped. Those attitudes of his weren't helpful. Uh, All of what he had learned, it could not be the source of Moses' strength. And here's the thing, you are called to leadership and God will prepare you for your role as a leader. And I don't want you to be surprised if that preparation looks like this, stripping you of your personal pride, of your ego, of your confidence, of what you think ought to get the job done, of the education that you received and paid for, that somebody promised you that that would be enough to get you that high-powered position. God will strip you of anything that gets in the way of you and that holy ground. He said, take them sandals off. Take them man-made divisions between you and I away because I need you, you, as you are in the flesh, Touching that holy place because that is the place of calling. That is the place of strength. That is the place of encounter. And that is the place of destiny. Now, this was Moses' call, but Moses had a couple of conflicted responses. I'm going to give you guys three really quick, okay? Now, if you want to do some homework, you want to read through Exodus. I did that this week. Moses, actually, I've identified five responses that Moses gives to God whenever he's called. Number one is unworthiness. Number two is the fear of rejection. Number three is unbelief. Number four is inferiority. And number five is the fear of no fruit. All right, if you read through the story of Moses, you will see that Moses consistently responds to the calling of God on his life with excuses. Now, I can't go into all five because I don't have time. I'm already supposed to close. But I'm going to do three, all right? So are you guys ready? Listen, I like to tell stories, but I'm a preacher, so my stories are long. (laughs) Number one, unworthiness. Exodus 3 and 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
This is one of the most common responses to the calling of God in our lives. We hear something big and the, and the picture is so huge to paint that we won't even pick up the brush. It's so intimidating. I can't be a world changer. I can't write history. I can't do anything great. And we start giving God excuses. Moses felt unworthy, undeserving, useless, valueless, and inadequate. This was likely to be a large contrast to his personality 40 years previous. 40 years ago, he thought he was the best, right? This is called, this is called being in your early 20s. I'm awesome. I'm a, I am a man. I know what I'm going to do with my life. Fast forward, you know, to over 40. I don't know, man. I'm not really sure if I can do a whole lot. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have that same energy I used to have. But listen, here's what God says to you. If you find yourself in that place, here's what God says to you. It's exactly what he said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. Here is the antidote to feeling unworthy, the presence of God. The presence of God. I promise you, if you will spend time in the presence, low self-esteem will no longer be an issue for you because you will get around your father long enough to receive both affection and affirmation. Because when you begin to tell God the truth about himself, which is a great definition of worship, God will begin to tell you the truth about yourself. He will build you up in your most holy faith. He, he will have you praying in the spirit. He'll have you worshiping in the spirit. And he will fill you with confidence because he will equip you with everything that you need to accomplish your call. He will give you enablement and he will give you protection. In Jesus' name. Number two is this, the fear of rejection. Look at Exodus 3 and 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Right? What Moses is thinking is, I'm going to go and try to do this great thing, and then they're going to reject me. You know what Moses is probably thinking about? He's probably thinking about the words that that, that that guy said to him 40 years earlier when he murdered that Egyptian. Isn't it weird how somebody can say something once to us and we will take it as the word of God and we will keep it with us and we'll walk with it and it'll be in our spirit and we'll get down on ourselves and won't give ourselves uh, the confidence that God wants to give us because of something somebody said to us decades ago. You remember he said, who made you Lord over us? Who made you ruler over us? Who made you the judge over us? And this, you know, the words of that guy is probably echoing in Moses' ears as, as he says, go back and free the Israelites. Go back and be the judge. Go back and be the leader. Go back and be the ruler. He's thinking, man, that guy said. Right? And so God answers and he said, who made you? Oh, excuse me. God answers. Oh, I didn't write the scripture down where he answered. It's okay. Here's, I know how he answers because I read it this week. <laughs> but God gives Moses his name, right? He says, when they ask you who sent you, here's, who, here's what I want you to say. I am. Yeah. And see, here's, here's what happens when you go in God's name versus your own name. When you go in God's name, if they reject you and what God's called you to do, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. And so when we go in God's name, what we do is we cast off our own strength. We leave our name by the wayside. We say, man, I'm going in God's name. So you don't have to have any fear of rejection because whether they accept or reject, it's not about you. It's all about him. 
Number three, the fear of no impact. Now, I wanna say it like this. So much of what we call unfruitfulness is really just unmet expectations. Let me say it again. So much of what we call unfruitfulness is really just unmet expectations. Because if you'll be patient and you'll abide in the presence of Jesus, what does scripture guarantee? You will be fruitful. You will bear fruit. But a lot of times we get ourselves into trouble as Moses did in Exodus 5 and 22, verse 23. It says, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. This is after Moses has gone to God many times, or excuse me, Pharaoh many times. He's like, you called me, you sent me, you told me what to say and nobody's been free. So what was Moses doing? He had expectation of fruit on his own timeline. And I think that a lot of people walk away from their calling because of a lack of patience, because they're expecting God to operate on their timeline on the basis of their natural mindset, rather than operating on God's timeline, which he has figured out beforehand in the first place to get as much glory as possible through the wilderness and the tribulation and the tests and the trial of your season. Amen? Amen. So we have no reason to fear no impact. Continue to do what God has commanded you to do in patience until it happens. No matter how much action you take, the reality is the fruit belongs to God forever. So how do we respond to the call in closing? Worship team, I want to ask you guys to come up. We're going to sing one chorus as we close today. But, you know, just to summarize this, how to respond to the call of God, it's a very simple conclusion to the message to the story today which is this complete surrender complete surrender I can almost bet that there's some people in the room today that has felt called by God in their past to do something that they've walked away from you've put it on the back burner and you've tried to forget about it but let me tell you God has not forgotten about it And I believe that today he's bringing that back up. He's bringing that up to the forefront of your heart and he wants to do something with it. Your role is just to hear, to obey, and to surrender. So let's stand. We're gonna pray into that together. We're gonna sing one chorus with the team. But this is how we respond to God to our call of leadership. Not with doubt, not with unbelief, not with fear, but with surrender. And this is what I want you to practice. If you don't mind, every eye in here closed. And I just want you to remember for a moment something that God's called you to. If you don't feel like God's ever called you to anything, I'm gonna verbalize a calling for you today, which is this, to lead. To serve. To serve your church family, to serve your community, to serve your city, to serve your leaders that you Maybe you work for on the job or to serve your spouse, to serve your kids, to serve your neighborhood, whatever it looks like, that calling. I just want to pray for you, Lord. I pray right now in Jesus name over every single call, every single call. Lord, you've not forgotten about it. You've not neglected it. There is more grace today to accomplish this call than there was when they first heard it. So Lord, I declare holy boldness 
happening right now in the hearts of every single person in this room, that they would take the call of God on their life to lead and to serve seriously with severity, God, that they would handle it as precious before all of heaven and that they would step out and begin to actively, sacrificially and joyfully serve with their whole heart, not counting themselves as privileged, but looking at the privilege of serving and completely surrendering. Lord, today we surrender. We surrender, Lord. We surrender to the calling of God on our lives. We surrender to the ultimate purpose of God on our lives. If that means walking away from a relationship, walking away from a career that you know is really just a distraction that you've been trying to pioneer into just to have some needs met, do some work with the Lord in your heart today. I beg of you, don't miss your eternal purpose, your legacy. Uh, what God wants to do in this generation depends upon you. You have a precious part to play. Nobody's looked over or left out. Everybody has a role to play in the kingdom of God. Don't displace yourself from your purpose because you feel like you're unworthy. God is ascribing value to you. You have a part to play. You are called in Jesus' name.